Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is God's word. Let's stand for the singing of the doxology. Today I'm going to talk about meditation. Now, odds are what most of you are probably thinking about when I say the word meditation is not what I'm going to be talking about. So um, this is not about sitting still and focusing on your breath. That's a perfectly good thing to do. Do it. I'm not going to talk about um, finding times of quiet. There's a certain kind of meditation in view in Psalm 1 that is probably neglected and we would all benefit from giving a bit more attention to. So Psalm, this is the first of the 150 Psalms. The, the collection of Psalms begins with the word blessed. There is blessing, there's goodness, there's life, there's richness to be found by entering into these devotional texts. And in Psalm 1, it says there's blessing particularly on the one who meditates. That's verse 2. That's why that's the focus for today. Verse 2, there's a blessing on those who meditate. And the primary image of Psalm 1 in verses 3 and 4 is that of a tree. The person who is experiencing this goodness in life with God, who is meditating, is like a tree planted by streams of water. So, so you're planted in the right place. You want to plant yourself in the right place near streams of water where you're being nourished. And what that means in the imagery of the tree is that there's growth. You grow in size and strength. So, so part of that, that, that life, that goodness that comes not simply from the life of the mind, but when the mind is integrated with our heart, our emotions, our actions, um, a disciplined mind that, that knows how to recall and remember and think through the things of God is planting life in the right place where there will be spiritual nourishment, there will be growth. And so in the image of the tree, you could tell that it's alive because there's leaves, there's fruit. And of course, there's a contrast in this psalm, which is some people will, will not walk that way, but they'll go their own way. And they wind up, uh, the result is they're like chaff. So in the agricultural metaphor, uh, you know, there, there's what you want, and then there's this dry skin that could appear on weed or on various things that, that winds up being useless and, and therefore is not wanted. And with chaff, as it gets separated out, it's so light that when the wind comes, it blows it away. There's a bit of a warning as we enter the book of Psalms to say there's a way to walk uh, if you, if you uh, walk with this community and, and reflect and meditate on these things that is life-giving, uh, brings growth and health. Uh, but there's a caution that if you just walk your own way at the end of your life, you may realize, I've done nothing. I've contributed. There's nothing. There's no substance. I ran after the wrong things. 
So there's an invitation here to walking a way of life that brings blessing, and meditation is a key part of that. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. Now, the, the first thing I want to talk about on the topic of meditation is what I'm calling unintentional meditation. Unintentional meditation. What I mean by that is we're already doing this. We're already meditating in this way, but most of us are not doing it intentionally. Now, some are. So some of you, if you're, for instance, if you went to a sports psychologist because you have a specific goal, uh, maybe they will have you meditate in a certain way, uh, imagine what you're going to do and rehearse your plan. And so maybe some of you are meditating in intentional ways. I suspect most of us are undisciplined minds, just go wherever they go. But if you watch over time, you'll find that even if it feels like, oh, it's just going different places, there are certain themes certain topics, certain ideas, certain values that your mind returns to. And if it's not intentional, it could be by default. It, it, for some of us, it's, it's the thing you most regret that you don't want to be thinking about, which is what your mind always goes to. And, and over the years, you rehearse it and embed it. Um, in Psalm 1, one of the warnings is actually uh, who you associate with uh, how people around you are imagining life and making decisions, that affects and influences you. And therefore, your mind may be shaped by what other people want. So other people want financial success, and then you think that must be the meaning of success, so I must want it too. And then your mind is always going to your accounts or ways to make money. Or it could be uh, a lot of people's minds default to sexual imagery. Uh, or it could be uh, some other version of success, popularity. There are all sorts of things that because of other people having things in their minds and talking about them and presenting images, that our attention gets, gets captured. So if we're passive, our minds will focus on themes, be rooted in themes that maybe if we were careful to think about, we wouldn't choose. And so Psalm 1 warns us about the company we keep. And so uh, in, in verse 1, there, there's the imagery about walking. You don't want to walk uh, with certain people. There's then standing and then sitting. You don't want to walk in the counsel of the wicked. You don't want to stand with sinners. You don't want to sit with scoffers. And, and there's a little bit of progress in, in the psalm, and I don't know if it's intentional by the writer, but there's a solidifying of that community of going from walking to standing to sitting. So with the walking, you know, who are the people that, who's the person that you think, I'd love to catch up and talk to that person, or who's the crowd that's going somewhere that you think, if I could get into that crowd, there's movement. Where they're going, I want to go. The standing, where do you want standing? Who do you want to be seen next to in the photo? Who do you want standing with that you've got their back, they've got yours? And then the sitting, if, you know, who do you want to seat at the table with? Um, who do you want to make sure that they're hearing you? There is a bit of progression. This week as I was thinking about the psalm, I was remembering somebody that I met some years ago. Uh, I, we had an appointed meeting place and we were going to sit down and have a meal, but we were going to walk there. Um, but as we were walking, he was very exercised about the topic that he was talking about. So every half block he would stop and face me and I found myself, you know, it would be, could be a minute that we would be stopping and talking. And while we were walking, I could hear you, but there's something while we're walking together that he seemed to 
by experience, have this sense of like, actually, this is really important, and therefore, we need to face each other. <laughs> so, so once you're standing, there, there seems to be, in, at least in, in this imagery, a little bit more of a commitment. But then once we sat down, and th- by the way, this was not somebody that was part of our church or any church, and so don't be self-conscious about uh, how I talk about congregants, but this particular person I was meeting with, uh, once I was sitting down, I felt a little bit like, actually, now it's, he has a captive audience. And now that I'm sitting with him, at this point, I'm here to hear what he has to say. In that imagery, be careful who you come alongside with, because at some point, you stop and talk with them. And then, once you sit down, once those are the people that you're eating with, you're doing life with, what, what, well, what characterizes it? And in the, in the wisdom theme from the biblical genre of wisdom that you could see in various passages, the fool is often somebody who scoffs. And so the person who is the sinner, the person who is wicked, the mark is once you're in community, it's not a healthy community. And scoffing is, is sort of like there's the people you can sit with who are doing good, who are, you know, imperfect people who are aiming for something good, but there's always the community where the identity is, uh, we're just going to mock everyone else. And some people you could justify in thinking they deserve it, but, uh, but you can't be in the community of the scoffers without mocking those who don't deserve it. It becomes an attitude. It comes in, becomes a way of being that's just not good for us. Now, the language of the wicked and the language of the sinner. It is striking, uh, certainly in English, we tend not to use those terms in normal discourse, so it sounds like judgy religious language, watch out for the wicked. And it's not that we've come so far in society that we no longer think in judgy categories, we've just changed the language. So you wouldn't today say, oh, you know, I work with this sinner and I'm not gonna eat lunch with them. But if you sat and talked about your work environment, if you use the word toxic, And then you said, you know, my work environment's a bit toxic. What should I do to have a more positive influence? Once you use the word toxic, the counsel of your friends, there's one answer, get out. If it's unhealthy, if there's some problems, but as soon as you say it's toxic, you leave. What about that toxic relationship you're in? How do I love the person more? Standard friend advice is once it's categorized as toxic, get out, have nothing to do with it. So we still recognize there are realms we don't want to be in. There's people that we don't want to associate with. It's not that that um, we're now more enlightened, even if we've changed the terminology. The book of Psalms is saying, if you're not careful, you may find yourself in places where over time you're withering away, your life is being drained of you, and then before you know it, um, the only thing you have to say is mockery and spite. You're plotting revenge. uh, You're ruminating on things. There's a better way. So uh, there's an invitation here. To, to walk in a different way, to walk a different path, to, to stand with different people, to, to get a seat at a different table. And meditation is part of that, the intentional commitment, but also the life of the mind. What, what are the things that I'm going to call my attention to? Um, don't just default to whatever you feel. Don't default to whatever the last things that you've seen are, because we tend to spend much more time talking with people and on social media than we, we do Uh, with valuable material, and therefore there is an intentionality um, of drawing our mind places. So there's the unintentional meditation, that was the first thing, but here's the second thing, focused meditation. 
We have to be careful about an unintentional ruminating, obsessing, focusing. But we want is a focused meditation. So in Psalm 1, it says there's blessing on the one who meditates. But it's not simply a life practice. And that's why it's not as simple as just be still and focus on your breath. Again, that's valuable. My watch several times a day invites me to do that. I'm usually at a moment where I dismiss it, but I would probably be better off if I could pause as often as my watch alerts me. That's valuable. But in verse 2, it's not just the practice of meditation, but it's meditation on the law of God. That as we enter the Psalms, it's saying this is actually something that should capture our imagination. Now, the word law is another word uh, that many of you are, are immediately like, oh, that's the nature of religion. I need to to focus on the commandments of God so that I could do what's right so he's not angry with me. And the word law uh, in Psalm 1 is the Hebrew word Torah. If you're familiar with sort of Judeo-Christian religion, uh, the Torah is, uh, is how the first five books of the Bible, the books of Moses, are referred to. So the one who meditates on Torah, yes, clearly from this is meditating on the commandments, but, but if you read Genesis through Deuteronomy, you find that there's a lot of rules and commandments and warnings, but it's embedded in a narrative where God is the creator and the redeemer. Meditating on the one who gives life. Meditating on the one who sees his suffering people and invites them out, and in that context, frames their lives for the sake of safety. So it's a matter of what's required. It's, it's not simply what's required of me and I better study the rule book like you're, you know, taking a new job and it's like I need to, to study the manual so I make sure I get everything right. This is different. This is broader. This is drawing our minds to God, the originator of all that's good, of remembering his redemption and, and trusting in the rightness of his ways. And that uh, rehearsing those things in our mind then frames the whole of life. So it's interesting that um, as the, there's 150 psalms and they've been written by different people at different periods of time, but they've been collected in this group, in this book, that some of you may be aware, others may not. Do you know that the, the psalm book is grouped in five collections? So you could read a certain section of Psalms if you've ever gotten to one where it's a Psalm not written by David and then it says, and here ends the uh, Psalms of David, you know, so the marker from verse, uh, Psalm 41 to 42 and other places. Uh, five groupings of Psalms, that could be coincidental, but many have recognized that, that the first five books of the Bible, revealing God and what he did, that the function of the book of Psalms is that these are also words given to us by God, but words that become our words, so that by being trained in them, you know, when you're angry with God, what do you say if God is holy? Well, the Psalms give you the language because there are Psalms where people are angry. When you're confused, the Psalms give you the language. When you don't know what, you know, if I want my life to be characterized by praise, what do I, what do I even recall? Well, the Psalms give you those words, the language, the imagery. And there's a sense in which the parallel to meditating on the revelation of God through Moses, the invitation here is not, you know, set your mind on the Ten Commandments or the 613 Commandments, but, but set your mind on Scripture. What has God revealed? What has God made known? Come to know Him and what He has revealed and what He says and the, the nature of His ways so that you're walking with Him. That, that's where you're standing is, that you have a seat at that table. And that rehearsing, that meditating, provides a, a focus 
that then those focal points frame your life so that the rest of your life is, is in the, the right orientation. So uh, there's an Old Testament scholar, Tremper Longman has a book, How to Read the Psalms. Uh, in it, he says, the Psalms appeal to the whole person. They demand a response. The Psalms inform our intellect, arouse our emotions, direct our wills, and stimulate our imaginations. When we read the Psalms with faith, we come away changed and not simply informed. So today I'm highlighting the intellect a little bit, but the intellect as it's ingrated, uh, integrated in our emotional selves, our acting selves, our communal selves, a, a renewed mind, a mind that, that remembers what's good, that thinks about what's honorable and right, uh, is a life that's planted so that you will grow. And so you don't just meditate, but you meditate on the law of God, the Torah of God, the scripture, the revelation of God, God and his goodness. What has he done? Uh, what does he promise? What ways does he outline, which are the ways of life? And what does he warn us against? Reflection on those things. It's not that it's a requirement of the Christian life. It's the way of the Christian life that we use our minds there. So now verse one talks about blessing and it says, blessed is the man. That's our translation. Um, most modern translations would say something like blessed is the one or blessed are those because clearly someone is not saying this is how males are blessed and there's a different program for females. This is not gender specific. Uh, blessed are those who walk this way. But uh, we use a translation that tends to lean a little bit more on a, on a literal uh, translation. And so this, was, this psalm was written more than 2,500 years ago. Our concepts have changed, but one of the advantages for those who allow Jesus to be the one who shapes how we think and how we read scripture, so, so the study of the New Testament and, and walking with Christ um, trains us so that when we read passages that talk about blessing and how do you earn it, that eventually you find yourself saying, you know, I can't earn this. And so if the blessing is on the one who does these things, what happens if I'm not doing it? If my mind actually goes towards the sexual thoughts that I don't want to think about? If I know not to be obsessed with money, but I tend to think about money? If my views of the dynamics of power is I want fairness to all, but I quickly think about choking people? You know, then you find yourself saying, I'm, I'm not experiencing life, I'm not experiencing blessing. And one of the advantages, and I'm not advocating for our translation. I think the other translations are fair and appropriate. But there is a Christian reading that says, actually, the, there's one person in Scripture who has earned God's blessing, and it's the man, Jesus Christ. You know, you look at, did, did, did Abraham earn God's blessing? No, he received it by faith. Did David earn it? Did Moses earn it? Who are the great figures? Well, the greatest figures of the Bible have enough written about them that we see their flaws, we see their low points, we see that sometimes they sat with the wrong crowd and did the wrong thing. There's one person, Jesus, who did not. Now, did he walk with sinners? Actually, he did. He didn't walk in their way, but he went along their way to invite them to a different way. Did he stand with them? Well, you see him in the crowds conversing. He didn't, he didn't exclude them because he was judgmental, but he didn't adopt their ways. And then the sitting with the, the scoffers. You know, you have these moments where Jesus is at the house of a Pharisee and then a prostitute comes in and both parties don't like each other. Who do you think is the greater sinner? Some of you would say it's the Pharisee. Some of you would say it's the prostitute. Well, Jesus sat with both. He sat among them 
not to adopt anyone's ways, um, but in order to call people to get up and to walk a different way. And what we find is that the gospel tells a story that we are meant to meditate on, which is that the one who came along the way uh, to invite us to the way of life walked with us till the end to the logical outcome so that uh, the terrible outcome for a problematic life, even though Jesus lived a perfect life, becomes the outcome of his life. So it's this puzzling thing. Uh, if the one who does this, and you can see that Jesus must have meditated on Scripture enough that throughout his ministry, the words of Isaiah, the words of the Psalms, all these various words that naturally come out of him, clearly uh, his mind was in tune with what, what was in the Scripture. Uh, the odd thing is that this one, this one perfect person in all of humanity, didn't receive the blessing it would appear, but he received a curse. Now, now why is that? And the story of Scripture is this is the good thing we need to meditate on, not ourselves and what we deserve and what we've earned and what we're entitled to because we've disciplined our minds to think about religious things, but to recognize that though we don't deserve God's blessing, we will receive it not because we've earned it, but because Jesus gives it to us. But his giving it to us is because he bears our curse. That's how the Bible interprets his being crucified. When it says there are those who will not stand in the judgment, that, that's how the psalm ends. There's a warning. You know, it's interesting in the nature of crucifixion. There's a variety of ways you can uh, kill someone. And, and the cross was a particularly cruel, humiliating way that involved suffering. And as people have talked about what, what, what were the dynamics of being crucified, and as you imagine the pain of having nails driven through you and being nailed to a plank of wood, you know, that always strikes me as where you're bleeding is the most painful place. But as I've read about it over the years, they say one of the things that happens as you tire, as you're hung on a cross, is it becomes hard to breathe. There's something about the posture, and, and actually it creates this very hard thing that you can't breathe, and yet to get a breath you kind of need to stand up which then means putting all your weight on what's nailed down. And so, so the experience of anyone being crucified, including Jesus, is that there was a sense in which you were visibly portrayed as judged, but you're trying to stand in the judgment. And as you're weakening, you can't until your lungs give out. And then your, 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 uh, your death could be simply that you couldn't draw another breath. And the Gospels highlight Jesus drew his last breath and then gave up his spirit. The New Testament interprets for us, Jesus did that because none of us could stand in God's judgment. We don't earn his blessing. But Jesus went there and he stood before us, receiving the judgment we deserve. So then he, like the Psalms, which says, when we meditate on the law of Moses, it frames us. And so we wind up with these five books of Psalms that takes the redeeming acts of God and the creative acts of God and the forgiving acts of God and the, the patient need for God. The language of the Psalms, you find in the ministry of Jesus that it's similar. So the first word of the 150 Psalms is the word blessed. In the New Testament, the first words of, of a significant body of teaching of Jesus is Matthew 5 what's known as the Sermon on the Mount. And he begins announcing blessing. So this is God's purpose from the beginning. Genesis 1, look at the blessing of life. Now live in it. Psalm 1, there is a blessing if you will walk this path. 
Now Jesus comes and he says, not blessed is the one who meditates on Scripture. Not blessed are those who um, uh, have clean hands and a pure heart. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Uh, blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. He's not saying if you do these things and make yourself miserable, you'll earn God's blessing. He's coming and saying, you can't earn it, but I will give you God's blessing. I will become poor in spirit. I will hunger and thirst for righteousness. So that sitting with you, when I invite you to get up and follow me, you now have the starting path to life. And what we're told is, yeah, so in the language of Psalm 1, meditate on Torah, but, but now we have the gospel. That's the fullness. So Jesus, said, he begins with the blessing. Blessed are the poor in spirit, Matthew 5. Uh, then he says, I didn't come to abolish the law, but I've come to fulfill it, to bring out its fullness. And then he ends in Matthew 7, saying, if you hear my words and do it, you're like the one who's firmly planted and the wind uh, can't destroy you. He's, he's taking the same path that begins from uh, Genesis 1 through the Psalms and he's opening it up and saying the path begins I will lead you on it. So get up and follow me and I will lead you down the path where you will end in blessing and what we're told is that creates the opportunity for a renewed mind a new way of seeing things a new hope new principles new characteristics that that when he becomes our leader when he becomes our teacher then we understand the goodness of God and and we want to set our minds on what is good. So, uh, in, in Philippians 4.8, so another New Testament passage, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. This is now the Christian way. Now, this is not about ignoring injustice. It's not about pretending you're not suffering. It's about the fundamental anchor of your life being in God and his goodness and the hope of his promises and believing more than what I naturally think, more than what other people say. There's a confidence that the scriptures bear witness to what is good and true and wise. And so if I focus my attention there, that gives me the lens to see my own failings and to look at injustice and to think of how to act. Um, but first and foremost, are we focused on what's honorable and praiseworthy and good and just and true? And most of us don't default to that. And so there's a discipline to say, I'm going to focus. So there's the unintentional meditation where we just ruminate, we just follow the crowd. There's a focused meditation that the whole of the Bible invites us to. Focus on God and, and his scriptures and what he's revealed in his story and his promises and his ways. Now, here's the third thing. So, the unintentional meditation, the focused meditation, the last thing I want to talk about is willing meditation. Willing meditation, meaning this is not something you have to do. So, don't, don't sit here and be like, oh, this is a reminder. I was supposed to be doing that, and I'm going to go do it out of obedience. Well, that would be right, but just not far enough. You don't do it because you have to do it. You should do it because you want to do it. And that's where, for some of us, our entryway into Christianity is not the goodness, the kindness, the mercy, the patience, the forgiveness, the promises. It's something else, and therefore it could feel like a religious treadmill where you're just exhausted trying to live the Christian life. Remember, we don't earn God's blessing, but Jesus Christ didn't have to give it to us, but he chose to. He blesses those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. 
So you find yourself saying, but I'm not satisfied. I also hunger and thirst for what's problematic, but behind that, I want what's good in life. And I'm recognizing other people have that desire, but they're, they're running after things that won't satisfy. The big bank account sounds like it's going to satisfy that deep desire, but it never will, and the deep desire is never addressed. What we're told is there is that deep desire that you have, and therefore there's a willing following Christ to say, I'm going to allow that hunger and that thirst um, to seek its direction, its fulfillment, its, its orientation in him, what he's done, what he has made known. And so in verse 2, in the parallel lines in verse 2, before we meditate on scripture, it says, the one who is blessed delights in the law of the Lord. And so he meditates on the law of the Lord day and night. That delight is important. Now, not meaning that you always need to be happy, you always need to, to feel good, because you'll catch yourself saying, actually, I crave what I know is not good, and I'm bored with the things that I know should be right. Look, we're all there. The question is, where are you planted? What, what are you rooted in? And, and what will you be intentional to bring to mind? And so the, the delight in the law of the Lord, one of the things that's a helpful reminder is that the word gospel means good news. There's goodness in it. So it's not that you have to do it, but, but what good do you want to say, before I assume that sex, money, and power will satisfy that goodness, <laughs> is there not something broader, deeper, truer, more beautiful in God and what he's made known and fulfilled in its fullness in Christ? I want to think about those things that are on, on offer uh, and therefore, verse 3 says, he meditates day and night. So this is not about necessarily setting an alert so that every hour of the day, uh, you don't have to get up in the middle of the night. But, but it really is, who are you walking with and what, what way are you going? When you walk with God, when you follow Christ, uh, even when you're doing things that have nothing to do with Christianity or religion, there's a sense in which I'm doing this anchored in that life. And therefore... Um, it becomes natural when something's good, even if, if what's good is your bonus or your dissertation committee passing you, you know, you know, every good thing traces back to God, so you give thanks to God. You know, when things are failing, that, that ultimately our lives are in God's hands, and so we trace our thoughts back, Lord, I'm helpless, I'm concerned, help me. There's this natural returning of the mind that becomes part of that life of an awareness of the goodness of following Jesus. And so on that, I want to say a number of, uh, try to be practical with you. I want to encourage you to meditate, and there's a discipline to it. You have to catch yourself, you have to do it, and, and eventually it becomes more natural. But what I want to be careful is to not encourage a battle of the mind. So what it means is, uh, I want you to be more intentional about thinking about what's good, but the reality is, we have problematic thoughts. There are all sorts of thoughts that come in. And, and what, one of the, the takeaways you may get is, I have to meditate on this. I can't meditate on that. That's right. But, uh, but thoughts come in. The point is, don't meditate on it. And look, if you could quickly dismiss a thought and that works, that's fine. But there's something about the brain that the more you try to get a thought out of your mind, therefore the more attention you're giving to it, the, the louder the voice comes. <clears throat> All of us have weird thoughts. This week I was remembering when I was a teenager, uh, I remember waiting for the subway and the thought popping into my mind, what if I jumped in front of the subway? 
Now, it wasn't sort of a, a physics experiment of thinking if the train came in at 30 miles per hour and I sort of jumped in this direction. It wasn't a, a despair of, uh, you know, I don't want to exist and therefore I'm going to jump in front of the train. Just a, a weird thought. It's a weird thought. Who cares about weird thoughts? The effect of the weird thought, though, is, uh, for me, starting to feel fear. What happens when the train comes if I actually jump? <laughs> Why would I jump? I don't want to jump. I have... But there's something there, the, th the entrance of the thought uh, seemed like it had some power. And, and the way we respond to power is to try to overpower. <laughs> so the thought comes in, let me overpower it. Um, and over time, you know, I used to commute every day, taking the subway every day, I've learned, actually, if the thought pops up, the thought actually doesn't, just because the thought's there doesn't mean I'm going to do it. Uh, just because the thought says something it's not true and I don't need to listen to it, and so therefore, over time, there's a sense in which, you know, I couldn't, couldn't intentionally keep the thought from coming in, but when it came in, uh, I, I'm able to see it, I'm able to recognize it, I'm able to observe it, but I don't need to do battle with it because it's, it's a thought. Now, um, most of us don't share those kinds of thoughts with each other. Some of us, because they're petty, um, but a lot of us, because it's embarrassing, if we started to talk about the thoughts that came into our minds. So Christian moral people with, you know, murderous thoughts, bizarre sexual thoughts, uh, whatever the things that come into our mind, we don't talk about that and therefore we're left thinking, I'm the only one with these bizarre thoughts and the only thing is left for me in the power of my mind to overcome them. To recognize in our humanity, uh, thoughts pop into our minds all the time and just because it's there doesn't mean necessarily that the conclusion you're an evil person because an evil thought came in. The question is, what do you do with it? There's something to say, a thought that comes in is not necessarily you and your identity. It's not a voice you have to listen to. And there's a way to be able to distance yourself to say, look, the thought is there and I'm going to see it. But where I make a choice, the choice is not to meditate on that, not to listen to it, not that I feel like I need to give in, but, but to be intentional about thinking what's good and right. So in that moment when you think, I want to think about what's good and right, but this thought is dominating, don't do battle with the thought, but just don't listen to it. <laughs> Uh, ignore it until it goes away. Now, for some of you, you can't ignore it until it goes away. And, and if this is a particular area of struggle, you might need to seek professional help to work that thing out. I'm talking about just more ordinary life where you have thoughts that pop in and you're able to say, you know what, I don't need to listen to that. That's not true. What I'm going to ruminate on, what I'm going to focus on is what's good, what's wise, what's righteous, what's holy. And so uh, as we have a meditating life, be proactive. Do it because you want to, not because you must. And that actually is part of the, the invitation to God. It's his power that will bring you through. Um, in that, just to, to offer a side bit of encouragement from the imagery of the, the psalm, the imagery of the tree, how do you know the tree's alive? Because of its leaves and its fruit. A helpful imagery because trees don't have fruit 365 days of the year. The is issue is where is the tree, root, the tree rooted? If it's rooted by the streams of water, fruit will come. And so many of us go through periods where it's like, I want to meditate on scripture, I want to think good thoughts, but it's like, but I'm not. I'm anxious, I'm thinking about the wrong things, I'm doing the wrong things. The, the trees, the leaves have fallen, the fruit is gone. It feels like a period of despair. Well, then walk with the Psalms, because those people are there in the Psalm book. Where are you, Lord? Where are you planted? If that stream of water is the Holy Spirit, if you're rooted in the gospel, if you're walking with God, if you're in a season without leaves or fruit, it doesn't mean you're dead. The issue is not how are you feeling, the issue is where are you planted.
meditate on the gospel. If you're rooted there, the fruit will come in its season. Uh, you just need to stay rooted. Uh, here's a second, just meant to be practical. Um, I'll be brief here. To meditate on the law of God, on the gospel, on the scriptures, doesn't mean that you only have to think about religious things, and that's a bit of the trap where it's like, oh, there's this song I really like, but I don't want to listen to it because it's, quote, secular, and therefore I need to keep my mind on this. Um, yes, some of you will find actually everything that I'm on my social media, my, my movies, my music, nothing has anything to do with God. It would be wise to, to take a break and to focus there. That could be right. But once you're rooted, once you're planting, then then not everything in your life needs to be explicitly... You could read a book that's not the Bible or about the Bible. Um, but, the, but the question is, where are you rooted? How are you walking? And so that meditation, when you're, when you're daily mindful of God and his reality and his presence, uh, then you can engage the, the rest of the world in a way that's rightly ordered. And here's, here's the last thing, just in terms of some suggestions for intentional practices. Uh, the meditation on Scripture is what's in view here, and therefore... An obvious thing to do would be to, to work on memorizing scripture, because the work of memorizing is meditative. But the idea of not simply encountering scripture, but, but thinking through it and wrestling with it and drawing from it, um, it's a discipline that pays off. And so go Google the top 10 or the top 50 or the top 100 Bible verses, pick out three that you like, and spend the next couple of weeks memorizing some, or take a whole passage, like the, a great text like the Romans 8. Um, Devoting your, your mind to that will bear fruit as long as you think, oh, this is not the Sunday school checklist that I'll get a gold star for, but actually I'm going to fill my mind with what I could draw on when I need to think about what's good and hopeful and right. Here's the last thing I'll say as a practical suggestion. You know, the, the pattern of the church is we come together and we hear a sermon, and because of our unintentional lives, we may just show up, experience the sermon as as where we are, and then we leave without giving much more thought. Now, in the modern age, uh, we have the luxury to do that. It used to be people didn't have printed Bibles at home, so you needed to come together for Scripture to be read. And now, even more, you can get videos of far better teaching that you'll get in a typical Sunday here when I'm preaching. So why would you not then say, well, I'll fill, fill the week with that teaching? By all means, read the Bible at home, watch videos of great teachers. But there is something about the pattern of doing life together. So we send out an email every week. You can subscribe to it on our website that says what the upcoming sermon passage is. You don't have to do it, but read through it with the question, Lord, what, what might you say to me this week? And actually, you'll find that, that what I say may be disconnected from that, but, but coming with an awareness of, of the passage helps you to hear better. You don't depend as much on the great speaker to get something out of the sermon. But then he, here's really what I want to suggest is, at some point, whether it's right after church or Sunday night or Wednesday night, revisit the passage. We always post online an outline and reflection questions. You could use those. But even if you don't want to use those, uh, you know, we always teach from the Bible. So the issue isn't so much what I've said, but now having spent a significant amount of time going over parts of a passage, this Wednesday, read Psalm 1, with the question, Lord, what can I learn from that? And it may be about meditation, but my having spoken to meditation may cue you into something that I didn't talk about in the psalm that then stands out. And now when you enter Psalm 1, you enter with more understanding, more grounding. And so take advantage of the disciplines we have together. We get together every week to read and talk about Scripture. What we look at on Sunday, look at it 
at some point outside of Sunday. When you get to your home group, ask people, hey, is there anything you took from the sermon? Yeah, you could talk about me and what I've said and whether you like this or you didn't like that or you agree with this, didn't agree with that. That's fine, but that's not valuable. What's valuable is, what is the Lord showing us? Where is there encouragement? Have we received any correction? Um, thinking about those things is part of the renewal that comes from the transformation of the mind. So I want to encourage you to be blessed by meditating on God, the gospel, his scriptures. Let me pray for us. Father, uh, as we come here today to point our minds towards you, we come here um, thinking about all sorts of things, thinking about things that are terrible things. Lord, we want to experience that goodness and we need help. We thank you that you give it to us. We thank you that we don't earn the blessing, but Jesus who earned it stands with us so that we don't stand alone in judgment, but we stand behind him so that we would receive his blessing. Lord, help our minds to be renewed so that this good news really works its way into all of who we are. Help us, Lord. We need it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.